Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Yes. Well, my name is Jennifer Hadley, and I love A Course in Miracles. I love to share the inspiration that I get from A Course in Miracles. And our topic today is when ego's in charge of our spirituality. When ego is in charge of your spirituality. Oh my goodness, this is such a rich topic. And this is something that, oh, it was a hole I fell into that I could call it a hell, a hell or a hole that I fell into. And I'm so glad I found my way out of it. Goodness gracious. So let's begin with a prayer, as we always do. I invite you to place your hand on your heart. Let's be wholehearted right here and right now. Taking that breath of love and gratitude, we open ourselves to the spiritual insights of that higher Holy Spirit self, the mighty I Am Presence. We're opening ourselves to a life of joy and freedom and wisdom and clarity and prosperity and wholeness and the all good shining forth in our mind, in our heart, in our activities, in our conversations and in our relationships. We are grateful to share the benefits of our awakening, of our healing, of our transformation with all beings, everyone, no one left out, because we are one with them. So grateful to call forth true and lasting healing. Yes, sharing the benefits, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at today... Uh, whether or not we've put the ego in charge of our spirituality unwittingly. I didn't know any better. And I never heard anyone talking about how to know if you have put ego in charge of your spirituality. I never heard anybody talking about that. But now, in hindsight, I can see, oh, that's what a lot of people did. They just weren't talking about it because maybe, like me, they didn't know that's what they did. And so there's a couple of things here. One is that ego and intellect are really the same thing. Ego and intellect are the same thing. I do think it's helpful to think of or conceptualize the ego as a piece of software that we're running in our awareness, in our mind. That the ego is not a being 
that has volition. It can't make decisions and choices. Uh, computer software, uh, the little that I know about it, although I use it all day, every day, it seems like. <laughs> I'm, uh, on my computer, I'm using all kinds of softwares, but softwares can do things like if this, then that. So if you input this, you'll get that. If you ask these questions, you'll get these answers. And uh, the intellect can really wa- operate that way. The ego, uh, we're told, is a thought system that is designed for the purpose of allowing us to believe that we're separate. So if we just take that much, that the ego is like a software that we're running on our mental computer that gives us the ability to believe or think or perceive that we're separate from each other. That is the purpose of the ego thought system is to experience the separation. It's not true Just like if you play a virtual game on a computer, it's not reality, it's a virtual experience. The same with the ego, it's a virtual kind of experience. I think it's helpful to think of it that way, so I do. And if we put the ego in charge of our spirituality, then we are not going to get something that's real and true. Now, what does it actually mean to put the ego in charge of our spiritual practice, our spiritual growth? For me, what it meant was that I truly believed that reading spiritual books was essential to my spiritual growth. And what I can see now, and have been able to see for many years now, That's not true. Spiritual books are helpful tools, but they don't really bring me spiritual growth. The only thing that can bring me spiritual growth is spiritual practice. Now, spiritual practice can be that I'm in a relationship with somebody. Let's say I'm in a relationship with my father. I'm in a relationship with my father. And let's say I'm having a difficulty in my relationship. Maybe uh, something he's doing is triggering me. Something he's not doing is triggering me. And in my talking with him, I'm practicing compassion, kindness, generosity of heart, patience, willingness, all of these things. That is a very active spiritual practice. So to me, there's no more deep, there's no deeper spiritual practice than when we are choosing to love instead of judge or complain or revisit the old 
patterns of the past. There's no deeper spiritual practice than that because it is a living practice of loving transformation. A living practice of loving transformation is when we are in the moment seeing that the old way would be to choose separation and the way we're choosing now is joining. So the old way would be to complain, to be irritable. The old way would be to blame, uh, to attack, to poke, uh, cajole, Uh, be sarcastic or whatever it might have been, be uh, attacking and defending and these kinds of things. That's the old way. When I choose the path of truth, or in Jesus' lifetime they called it the way, right? The I am presence is the way, the truth, and the life. So if we choose the way, the truth, and the life in this very moment, That is the deepest spiritual practice. And it doesn't happen with a book. Now, many times I have sat with A Course in Miracles. And I have read something in A Course in Miracles. Like, for instance, just pulling out my workbook here. Uh, My favorite lesson is 68. So, Lesson 68, Love Holds No Grievances. And so, I, I, I remember first reading Lesson 68. Oh, pages are sticking together. And where it says here in paragraph 3. No, wait, where is it? Yes, paragraph 3. It is as sure that those who hold grievances will suffer guilt as it is certain that those who forgive will find peace. It is as sure that those who hold grievances will forget who they are as it is certain that those who forgive will remember. So I, let's say I read that for the first time or the millionth time, doesn't matter. I read that and suddenly I go, I have this grievance against my person and that's why I'm still feeling insecure. When I go to work, I have a grievance against my coworker, my boss, my boss's boss. And it's that grievance that is causing me to forget who I am, that I am the light of the world, and so I don't feel worthy of a promotion. I don't feel worthy of a raise. I don't feel worthy of good things because I'm holding this grievance against my wife, my husband, my brother, my mother, my father, my sister, my neighbor, my child... So I've forgotten that I am the light of the world and I think I don't deserve things. I think I'm a body. I think I'm a personality trapped in a body. I get it now. Now, the spiritual practice there is the willingness to, it could be many different things, but let's say it's the willingness to discern the truth 
and to use the words on the page as a catalyst for that discernment. So my spiritual practice is to be contemplative with these words. Reading the words, I can read the words and think about other things. I can read them out loud and think about other things. Of course I can. I think a lot of us have the capacity to read something out loud or be chanting or praying while thinking about something else. So that's, that's not spiritual practice. But to sit with it and say, I'd like to understand what this means. It is assured that those who hold grievances will forget who they are. Huh. Okay. So what am I? You see, there lies the spiritual practice. In the question I ask myself, To me, the reading part is not my spiritual practice. It can be part of it, but it's really in my contemplation, in my opening and being willing to understand, to know, to feel, to experience the truth of what's really going on here. That's where my spiritual practice lies. Now, when I've put, if I've put the intellect or the ego in charge of my spiritual practice, I sit down, I read the lesson, and that is my agreement with myself. I'm going to read a lesson a day, a lesson a week, every three days, whatever it is, or whenever I feel like it, that's my spiritual practice. So I read the lesson, I read the words and everything, and clearly I've read it, and then, oh, here's a sentence I really like. Love holds no grievances. Let me not betray myself. I like that. Let me not betray myself. I like that. So I'm going to highlight that. And then that's it. Now with this particular lesson, it says the short practice periods should include a quick application of today's idea in this form. Whenever any thought of grievance arises against anyone, physically present or not, you say, love holds no grievances. Let me not betray myself. In addition, repeat the idea several times an hour in this form. Love holds no grievances. I would wake to myself by laying all my grievances aside and wakening in God. Okay. I can do that. And in fact, I have invented uh, an app A Course in Miracles app that's totally free, and uh, you can have it through wherever you get your apps for your mobile devices and your your tablets. You get that app, A Course in Miracles Complete, with deluxe features, and I can use that app that I made, and I can... Set reminders to do this practice, and then when they come up, I can say to myself, love holds no grievances, let me not betray myself. Or I can say, love holds no grievances, I would wake to myself by laying all my grievances aside and wakening in him. Boom, I did it. I did my spiritual practice. 
Oh, I did that five times today. So there you go. There you go. And that's putting the intellect in charge. I'm not really feeling it. I'm not really contemplating it. I'm not really connecting with my holiness. So I'm not really present to the healing opportunity that's there. Now, in the workbook, Jesus tells us, you don't have to believe any of this in order to have a healing. Just have to be willing to practice the lessons. And good gosh almighty, I know that to be true. So even if we have put the intellect in charge, the ego in charge of our spiritual practice, we can still have healing because our intention is to have healing. And that's one of the clear things that Jesus tells us in the Course. In fact, one of my favorite things to bring up in the Course is from Chapter 18, Section 7, I need do nothing. I need do nothing. And let's just look at this in terms of the ego, intellect, and spirit. You still have too much faith in the body as a source of strength. What plans do you make that do not involve its comfort or protection or enjoyment in some way? This makes the body an end and not a means in your interpretation. And this always means you still find sin attractive. No one accepts atonement for himself who still accepts sin as his goal. You have thus not met your one responsibility. Atonement is not welcomed by those who prefer pain and destruction. So, when we are making so many of our plans about the body's comfort and protection, then the intellect is in charge. And, oh my gosh, this is something we all work with. Because we do plan for the body's comfort and protection and enjoyment. I I know myself, I'm frequently thinking about what am I going to eat later? Partly because I, I live out in the country, so it's harder to be spontaneous. I need to either plan to go drive to town, which I do not like to do, so I, I keep my refrigerator stocked with the things I think I will be enjoying eating and uh, and I do not wish to make the body uh, an end instead of a means for my liberation so the goal is not the comfort and enjoyment of my body I'm taking care of my body and I am seeing it as a tool for my liberation but there's no question that I make plans that involve my body's comfort and enjoyment. I do. I do. And every, almost everyone I know, almost every spiritual 
teacher I know is thinking about these things. And I enjoy thinking about them with my spiritual teacher friends to think about, okay, uh, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? And have our spiritual conversations. What? Where are we going to go? What will they be serving? It's um, one of the few uh, things ab- about life that can be just enjoyable and spontaneous, without guilt, without shame. Of course, it can. We can attach all kinds of stuff to food too. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Uh, and and I I have to point out here, paragraph three. At no single instant does the body exist at all. Only its past and future make it seem real. Time controls it entirely. So and time is not real. So, but here is the the spiritual healing and teaching that's in this section that I oh, it just travels with me every day as part of my spiritual practice and how I hold my spiritual practice. You feel this is so important and I have talked about this before, but I often revisit the things that are most helpful to me. So, paragraph 4 Jesus says, this is, I need do nothing, which is section 7 of paragraph, uh, chapter 18. It is impossible to accept the holy instant without reservation, unless, just for an instant, you are willing to see no past or future. Just willing. No past, no future. We're suspended, you could say, in what's our true reality. Perfect presence. No wants, no needs, nothing to defend against. There's no guilt, no shame, no blame. That holy instant. You cannot prepare for it without placing it in the future. This is so important about our spiritual practice and whether the ego is in charge or not. If in our spiritual practice... We think that we are preparing for our awakening. Then we're placing it in the future. Which means it's not happening now. Which means it is not happening. If it's not happening now, it is not happening. So in our spiritual practice, it is extremely helpful to us to think of it as this is my time of awakening. It is happening now. And if we are merely studying A Course in Miracles and not living it, applying it, discovering it written within our own heart and being, then it's an awakening that's going to happen in the future. And that's how we know we're in the intellect. So, for me, what I began to experience was it is happening now. It's the eternal now, and this is where it's happening. 
I am awakening. I am awake. Yes. Oh, there you see the little transition. I went from I am awakening to I am awake. And I, I remember I was at Bill Free and Lisa Natoli's house. I don't know. If it was the last visit. No, it wasn't the last visit. Uh, maybe last fall. I was staying at their house and we were talking endlessly, as we love to do. <laughs> Be, and of course, it's all about the snacks. If Lisa Natoli is there, it's all about the snacks. No, it's not. But we enjoy enjoying the snacks and the food and the meals. And she's a wonderful hostess. So uh, Bill asked me something like, are you awake? Do you, do you feel like you're awake? And I don't remember exactly what I said to him, but I can tell you I feel awake a lot of the time, but not all of the time. But I feel awake a lot of the time. And how do I know that I feel awake? I will talk about that when we come back from the break, because it's time to go there. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I am so grateful. I'm so, so very grateful. You're listening to A Course in Miracles. My name is Jennifer Hadley, and I am so grateful that we get to share these beautiful teachings together. And in the sharing, in the joining with the technology, we are awakening. It's happening now. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Thank you for coming back. We were talking before the break about how do you know you're awake? How do you know if you're awakening? So is it that we're awake or asleep? Or are we awakening? Hmm. I sometimes use the analogy of being pregnant when it comes to being willing. You're either willing or not willing. So even if you're willing to be willing to be willing to be willing, you're willing. And if we use the analogy of pregnancy, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. So if you have the tiniest little smidge of willingness, you are willing empirically. For sure, you are willing. So, are we asleep or awake? Is awakening even a thing? Am I in an awakening process? I I will say, as I'm thinking about it now, that in every moment, I'm either awake or asleep. But I definitely talk about awakening, that I'm awakening, we're awakening. 
My experience, moment to moment, day by day, is that sometimes I'm awake and sometimes I'm asleep. How do I know which I am experiencing in the moment? Just like with everything else, with my identification, how do I know if I'm identified with spirit or ego? It's the same as how do I know if I'm awake or asleep? It's how I feel. When I am awake, tapped in, tuned in, I feel peaceful. I feel harmonious. I feel a, uh, an undercurrent of unconditional joy. I think it's helpful to recognize this is what the experience is. And I would rather be falling awake and asleep than being in an awakening process that just goes on and on and on. So that's how it, I experience it. Now, I'm going to go back to the place in the text, I need do nothing. He says here, Jesus says here, You cannot prepare for the holy instant, the awakened state, without placing it in the future. Release is given you the instant you desire it. So you see there's no process. Release is given you the instant you desire it. And why would I not desire to be awake and live in the holy instant? Well, sometimes my grievances hide the light of the world in me. Lesson 69. So love holds no grievances. When I let all my grievances go, I will know I am perfectly safe and I'm awake. So how come I fall back asleep? I become attached to some grievance. I think it has value for me. So Jesus says here, release is given you the instant you desire it. It's not a process. It's the same thing Ernest Holmes said in The Science of Mind. Healing is not a process. Jesus says here, many have spent a lifetime in preparation and have indeed achieved their instants of success. This course does not attempt to teach more than they learned in time, but it does aim at saving time. So if you think of, let's say, mystical students, spiritual students who spent a lifetime in preparation and they had their instants or moments of success... What comes into my mind is someone I hold as a teacher, and that is Francis of Assisi. I haven't looked deeply into his life, but looking into his life, traveling to Assisi to walk the streets that he walked, to sit in the chapel he sat in when he had uh, his, let's say, holy instant, Experience or one of his 
holy instant experiences, I can see that his life was lived as a preparation for these holy instant moments. He uh, was very much into deprivation and uh, wearing clothes that couldn't possibly keep him warm. Uh, For many years, he walked the streets of Assisi without shoes, even in the wintertime, and it gets cold and it snows there. And those cobblestones are cold. <laughs> I, I, I was there in, when was I there? In the f- early November. So I was there in the fall, early November. I think so, late October. And the weather was beautiful, but I still didn't want to walk the streets in my bare feet. And I, 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 I have tender feet. I like it that way. I like to wear shoes, except um, in certain circumstances. So, <laughs> and he uh, he was really into wearing uncomfortable clothes and eating very little food, just enough to maintain sustenance. And he invited the the nuns and the monks that were his students to do the same with him. And I remember uh, stories of Claire, who started the nunnery uh, under his tutelage, his childhood friend. Uh, She went to him and said, this deprivation is so hard. It's so hard, and we're really doing the best we can. It's cold. The rooms are cold. We're cold all the time. We're hungry all the time. We're doing everything the way that you're teaching us because it was about releasing body identification. And I think we've all had lifetimes where we focused on releasing body identification. And it's part of a spiritual practice. And certainly that's what Buddha did, right? For years, Buddha uh, went on a path of extreme deprivation to awaken the mind and then he finally came to the place of awakening and from there he said it's not necessary this deprivation isn't necessary francis was not a buddhist Uh, he was a student of jesus and he was fascinated by the crucifixion why was he fascinated by the crucifixion the insights I gained with when I was there in Assisi and being contemplative and invoking the mind and spirit of Francis and Jesus, I what I got from that time, and I bet you I have podcasts about it. I'm sure I do. Of course I do. So what year was that that I was there? 2014. So probably if you... Go back to November 2014. I probably was talking about it. But I remember very clearly thinking, why was Francis so completely fascinated and obsessed with the crucifixion? Remember, Francis was praying for the stigmata, right? The bleeding hands and feet and side that replicated Jesus' wounds. And a number of people uh, over 
the time since Jesus walked the earth have manifested stigmata, and they say that those stigmata wounds, they're, they're wounds that appear on their hands and feet, etc. Uh, but and they they're real wounds. They do not heal, and they smell like roses. And Francis did manifest these stigmata wounds, and he then he had to wear shoes because he had these open wounds on his feet. And just little tidbits of information. But I, I was so interested to know why Francis was obsessed with it. And what I got intuitively was because this was the crucifixion was Jesus's teaching, I am not a body. And that's what Francis was learning, remembering, discovering. That was the awakening Francis was having in that lifetime that he manifested the stigmata. So in the course, we're chapter 18, section 7. It's I Need Do Nothing, and it's paragraph 4. He says, Jesus says, you cannot prepare for the holy instant by placing it in the future. That is so important for us to understand in terms of making this shift from the ego slash intellect to spirit identification. Release is giving you the instant you desire it. So it doesn't take time. Healing does not take time. Many have spent a lifetime in preparation and have indeed achieved their instance of success. That's what Francis did. This course does not attempt to teach more than they learned in time, but it does aim at saving time. So in other words, we can have an aha, a holy instant. We don't have to spend years walking this earth, depriving ourselves and living in discomfort in order to remember I am not a body. All we need is to have that desire. We don't need to do anything. That's the critical word in that sentence. I need do nothing. I need do nothing. We can have the realization without years depriving ourselves of delicious food or walking the streets barefoot. We don't have to do that. We don't need to do any of those things. It's about beingness, not doingness. So Jesus goes on, you may be attempting to follow a very long road to the goal you've accepted. What is the goal we've accepted? It is accepting the atonement for ourselves so that we can be truly helpful, remember our true nature and our true identity, that we are one with all. What does it mean to accept the atonement? It means to have a full realization there is no separation nor could there ever be, nor has there ever been. 
So we are accepting the atonement for ourselves. That's our goal. So this is very important. He says, you may be attempting to follow a very long road to the goal you've accepted. So that's what Francis did in a certain way. It was this road of hardship. And he was teaching the nuns and the monks that that was the path of awakening, of liberation, of ascension. It doesn't have to be like that. But this is what Jesus is saying here. I I just love this so, so much. So he says, it is extremely difficult to reach atonement by fighting against sin. So we could look at, if we're going to use Francis's life, and I guess we are, that's what's being given to me today. Uh, he, as, as, as it's been believed or thought or known, he had a, a intense love and attraction to Claire. And she loved and adored him. And they channeled their love into their spirituality. And so he deprived himself of the pleasure of being with her uh, most of the time. He didn't want to be around her, uh, apparently because he was so attracted to her. She was so beautiful and innocent and so devoted and he admired all of that about her, but it also, he was afraid of his attraction to her. That's my understanding of it. You do your own research. And so he spent very little time with her, even though he was her spiritual guide and teacher. Remember, they couldn't talk on phones or FaceTime or Zoom or anything they could only either be together or write letters. They really didn't have any other choices. So uh, she was. She wrote to him frequently, can you please come and teach us? We need the teachings. And he avoided her because of his attraction to her. That's my understanding of it. So that's the fighting against sin. It is extremely difficult to reach atonement by fighting against sin. Enormous effort is expended in the attempt to make holy what is hated and despised. So if we think of all of the spiritual leaders, not spiritual, religious leaders, who have fought against their sexuality, despised their sexuality, that they had um, any kind of desire for sex to them was offensive and uh, especially offensive if they had sadomasochistic tendencies or even you know, they're gay, lesbian, homosexual, or anything like that. They would preach vociferously against whatever they believed to be a sin because they hated and despised it in themselves. This is a time-honored tradition of religious teachers, and beings. So he says here, enormous effort is expended in the attempt to make holy what is hated and despised, the body, 
and what we attribute as proclivities of the body. So the body is not attracted to other people. It's the mind. It's always the mind. The body really has no volition of its own. We attribute that to the body. It's not that the body's addicted to cigarettes. We think the body is addicted to cigarettes or to drugs. It's the mind. It's the mind. People can quit addictive substances without withdrawal when the mind is crystal clear. I know I've experienced it myself. Quit smoking several times. The last time, there was no withdrawal. There was no problem. It was just, boom, done. Seriously. And it's because I was clear in my mind about it, and there was no... resistance. I just knew I didn't want to smoke anymore. And it's not that I believe now. I don't believe smoking is bad. I don't believe that at all. It's just a choice. I I don't wish to make smoking bad. And I don't think that smoking causes cancer. I don't. I don't think that that's how this world works. So, and uh, it's okay. I don't need anybody else to agree with me. So he says here, enormous effort is expended in the attempt to make holy what is hated and despised. Nor is a lifetime of contemplation and long periods of meditation aimed at detachment from the body necessary. So if our meditation is for the purpose of detachment of the body, it's just not necessary. It's not necessary at all. So for me, I've not meditated for that purpose. At least I'm not aware of meditating for that purpose. My meditation is for the release of attachments in the mind and the recognition of the spiritual truth of my being. Bodhi is sitting here looking at me going, aren't you done with that computer? Can we go for a walk? I think it's time for dinner now. Can we eat? Just a minute, Bodhi. I think that's so important for us to recognize that deprivation is not helpful, uh, behavior modification not really so helpful. We do our healing work at the level of the mind, and we put the spirit, that higher Holy Spirit self, the I Am Presence, Jesus, the angels, the company of heaven, we put spirit in charge of that shift in our awareness. So we don't need to meditate in order to detach from the body. We are, to me, instead of focusing on what I don't want, I don't want identification with the body. Instead of focusing on that, what is it I would like I'd like to know myself as pure spirit. So I don't want to put my focus on the body like that. Now, I will say that I can see that putting my attention on trying to detach from identifying with the body, that actually feels like the ego's in charge now. 
I am not a body. That is the truth. So I don't have to try and get to the truth. I am the truth. The truth is what I am. Love is what I am. What my spiritual practice is for is letting go of my attachment to what's false. That's what my spiritual practice is for. So if my spiritual practice is about letting go of sin and trying to get myself to stop being a sinner or looking at sin, like if I'm trying to stop with uh, what's coming to me now is issues that people have, pornography, uh, drinking, drugs, um, fantasizing about whatever. Uh, These kinds of addictions, uh, I've had many, many years of my life struggling with addictive compulsive tendencies. It's why I do my Finding Freedom from Fear boot camp. It's why I do my Masterful Living year-long course. It's why I do my Self-Sabotage Challenge. These programs that I run are because I spent so many years struggling with trying to remove these problems from my life. And it took me so long to get to a place of success because I was putting the spirit on the back burner and putting ego in charge of my spiritual practice. If this is something you're really interested in, check out my Finding Freedom from Fear boot camp. I'll be doing it in June. And I believe that... The last day for registration is June 20th. So I'm inviting you to join this. If you don't like it, you can always opt out, money back guarantee. But if this is what you're looking for, finding freedom from putting the ego in charge of your spiritual practice, it makes such a difference. It's such a difference. We don't even realize the degree to which we have put the ego in charge of our life and our spiritual practice and every part of it. and But we can undo it. We really can. And surprisingly quickly, that's what I found and that's why I teach it now. Now, I love this and this is what made me think of going to this paragraph here in the I Need Do Nothing section. Parag- uh, paragraph 4 Sentence 10, he says, all such attempts will ultimately succeed because of their purpose. So Francis did ultimately succeed because of the purpose. And then he says, yet the means are tedious and very time consuming. For all of them look to the future for release from a state of present unworthiness and inadequacy. Enormous effort is, well, I'm going to back up one more sentence. It is extremely difficult to reach atonement, awakening, by fighting against sin. Enormous effort is expended 
in the attempt to make holy what is hated and despised. Nor is a lifetime of contemplation and long periods of meditation aimed at detachment from the body necessary. Not necessary. Isn't that good news? Jeepers. All such attempts will ultimately succeed because of their purpose. So we can spend lifetimes doing that. We'll get there because of our intention, because of the the purpose that we're headed towards. Yet the means are tedious and very time-consuming. Don't like the sound of that at all. For all of them look to the future for release from a state of present unworthiness and inadequacy. Then he says in paragraph 5, Your way will be different, not in purpose, but in means. A holy relationship is a means of saving time. One instant spent together with your brother restores the universe to both of you. So this is why in my programs we do spiritual work together. So we remember to laugh. We remember to be lighthearted. Somebody tells their story of guilt and shame Everybody's remembering to laugh together. We are healing. It's happening now in our group sessions. And we leave those sessions feeling buoyed up, feeling inspired, feeling that it's happening because we've had the holy instant. That is putting spirit in charge, and that's what we can do. If you're interested in joining me, come on down to jenniferhadley.com. Check out all the details for my Finding Freedom from Fear spiritual boot camp. It's a blessing, and we can do it together. I find it so important to remember that books are not healing. Our spiritual practice is healing. To me... Spiritual practice saved my life. It truly saved my life. That's why I'm such a big proponent of it. And people always tell me, Jennifer, in your programs, I learned a spiritual practice that really works. And now I feel empowered to really experience the power and the presence of love in my life, in my relationships, in my heart, in my mind, every day in every way. Yes, I'm so grateful that we don't have to spend lifetime struggling, that we can do it right now. And that's what Jesus is telling us in the Course. So let's just follow what he's saying. And if you'd like to join me and do it in community and make some very powerful, really wonderful spiritual friendships, come on down. If you'd like to have prayer partners, come on down. We are doing this now, and it is such a gift that we get to give ourselves. Oh, my goodness. And 
if you have questions, book an exploratory call with one of the spiritual counselors. They can answer all your questions. They are happy to do that. It's a free call. And when you go to jenniferhadley.com to the Finding Freedom page, you'll see how to book an exploratory call if that's what you'd like to do. I'd also like to say thank you to all the people who support this podcast with your love, your donations, your reviews. So helpful. I am grateful. Very, very grateful. Let's say a prayer. So grateful to place my hand in my heart and to know that the love of God shines in our mind as it always has. We are grateful and thankful to give up struggling. We're grateful and thankful to give up putting ego in charge of our spiritual practice. We're grateful and thankful to accept the healing that is ours now, that we need do nothing. We're willing to be the love of God. Love holds no grievances, nor do we. We are grateful and thankful to shine the light of Christ now and forever. We share the benefits with everyone. We let it be, and so it is. Amen. 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 I love you. God bless.